0: Well, good morning. I'm so excited to be here with you all this morning. Uh, before we get into our text, I just wanted to say thanks for letting us be here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you guys voted on me coming on staff, and it uh, passed. So um, I'm just as surprised as you are. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you. <laughs> And right back at you, because uh, we this is something that uh, my wife and I, we've desired to serve at Sherwood Oaks, to live in Bloomington, to minister to this community for a long time. I'm talking like over a decade. This has been a desire on our heart. And, and every time that we've felt that, we've just since God saying, not yet, not yet, not yet. I'm still doing some work inside of you. Not yet. And... and and just a few months ago, we felt like this is, this is the right time. And I'm just grateful that you all affirmed that uh, for us a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here because of that. Um, I'm, I'm also excited to be here with you this morning because there was a time, uh, quite honestly, a few months ago when I didn't want to do ministry anymore. Um, I was done. Uh, I had gone through a season of life where uh, I'd really been disappointed by God. I felt like where I was, um, God had, had really let me down. Uh, my, my faith, my, my walk with Jesus, um, I, I just was, I was really struggling and I did not want to do ministry anymore, I was, I was done. When we moved to Rhode Island a uh, few years back to serve at North Point, uh, we knew it was going to be really hard to leave our family. All of our families from Indiana were close family people, and so we knew that was really going to be a struggle. We were going to miss them. Uh, but we also knew it was going to be especially difficult um, for for my relationship with my mom and, and, and her relationship with, with our family. My, my mom uh, was living on her own, and she had a disease um, that was just really stealing the, the person that she once was. The, this active, vibrant person that she was, this disease was, was just slowly taking away more and more of that. And, and before I ever accepted this position at North Point, I, I really wrestled with God about this. Because I I felt a a tremendous amount of obligation to my mom to to be there, to care for her. But I also felt God was calling us to serve in New England all the way across on the other side of the country. And that was really hard. And so I remember saying, God, I'm not going to do this unless you're leading me. And God just continued to impress on my heart. No, I am leading you here. You trust me to take care of your mom. And so we followed and we went out to to Rhode Island and over the next few years, we had to watch from a distance as mom's health just continued to deteriorate and I found myself angry. Like I was angry at God about the entire situation. I was angry that my mom, who was such an amazing person, had to deal with this, this disease, being angry that God would lead us to a place where we had to watch her deteriorate from a distance. It was the hardest thing that I ever had to experience. I know that it was very hard on her too because she was, we, we separated her from her grandkids, from us. She felt isolated and alone. And, and I dealt with a lot of anger and a lot of guilt during that time. And the last spring, mom's health uh, really started to take a turn for the worst. She was living on her own in an apartment and we had home healthcare that was coming and, and taking care of her, but it just had kind of escalated to the point where we, we knew uh, that that wasn't a long-term solution. And, and so we started having those painful conversations that maybe you've had um, about what it means to start moving out of independence and into assisted living. And so we we finally convinced her that this was the right move. And so she graciously uh, made that move. We we got her all settled into an assisted living home. And that was on a Thursday. On Friday morning, we got a call from them. They said, "Um, your mom's disease has escalated from the time that we did her intake evaluation to now so much that we're not gonna be able to provide the level of care that she needs. And in fact, we're not even gonna be able to provide that going into the weekend. And so you guys need to do something today. And and my mom, who had just come to this idea that, okay, assisted living, that probably is the right next step. Now everything is blowing up, mom, we can't do this. And so she transitioned from there into the hospital for a few days and then from the hospital into a nursing home. And her health just continued to go down. She couldn't talk anymore. We, We couldn't FaceTime with her anymore which was the one connection that we had as we lived so far away. And on July 8th, July 8th, I held my mom's hand as she took her last breath and she passed from this life to the next. And I I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope. that my mom's with Jesus, because we got to share in this moment five years ago, um, I had the opportunity to baptize my mom. And so that, that, that helps me to, to know that she's in a better place. She's healed. As my girls say often when they pray for our meal, um, Jesus, thank you that Grandma Lynn can walk again. <laughs> so I know that she's good. But in the months following her death, I continued to wrestle with a lot of anger. A lot of anger um, towards God. I was angry that he allowed such a sweet, kind, compassionate person to go through something like this. I was angry that my girls wouldn't have a chance to know their grandmother who was crazy about them. I was angry that uh, he led us to a place that made mom feel even more isolated and alone in her final days. I was angry. God had taken something from us taken someone, it wasn't just that he had taken my mom, he had taken that time that I could have spent with mom before she passed. And I was mad. And not only was I angry, but I dealt with an incredible amount of guilt in that decision. And, and during that time, it's, it's not that I questioned God's existence during that time, but I absolutely questioned God's goodness. And to me, what he had done felt cruel and I was hurt. And to make it even worse, he felt incredibly absent in those months following her death. I would pray and I would cry out to him and I felt like my prayers would just barely get to the ceiling before they'd fall flat on the floor. I felt like God had abandoned me when I needed him the most. And during that time, I read a little book by C.S. Lewis called A Grief Observed. And, and he wrote this actually as, as journal entries um, following his wife's passing. She had a long bout with cancer. And so he wrote these as journal entries in the moment, not reflecting on it later, but these are his raw feelings and emotions while he's processing through all of this stuff. And he, he, he wrote something in here that really resonated with me and it might resonate with you this morning as well. He says, not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not so there's no God after all, but so this is what God is really like. Deceive yourself no longer. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like God let you down? A time when you felt like the curtain had been pulled back to expose God for who he really is, a time when you, maybe your expectations of what a good and loving and perfectly heavenly father would do and how he would act, all of these expectations didn't necessarily align with the reality of what you experienced from him. Maybe you felt like he wasn't there for you or a friend or a family member when you or when they needed him the most. And the question that many of us have probably found ourselves asking at one point or another in our life is, is, is how do we respond when we feel like God has let us down? Maybe you're asking this question right now. How do you respond when you feel like God has let you down? Those moments feel a lot like wandering lost in the wilderness. And I found in my own life and in the life of others that, that these wilderness moments have a way of making us question everything that we thought that we knew. All of those things that we thought that we knew about God, all of those things that we thought that we knew about our faith or even about ourselves, wilderness moments have a way of making us stop to reevaluate everything that we hold true. And in our text today, uh, we find a man named Elijah Who's experiencing his own wilderness moment? And I think that the lessons that God teaches Elijah has a lot to say to us when we feel like we have been disappointed by God. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to First Kings chapter 19. If you have a Bible app that you like to use on your device, go ahead and turn there as well. Um, or you can follow along up on the screen here. The words will be up there. First Kings chapter 19. A little bit of background to our text while you, while you turn. Uh, Elijah was a prophet of God. He spoke on behalf of God. And a lot of times, Elijah found himself uh, rubbing up against the cultural norms of his day. And so because of that, he had made a few enemies. Uh, one of his greatest enemies just happened to be the queen. Uh, you may have heard of her. Her name was Jezebel. Jezebel. And Jezebel uh, had led Israel into idol worship. Uh, She was a foreigner who married uh, a Jewish king. And so when she came over, she brought with her her family gods. And one of them that she kind of taught everybody to worship was Baal. And so Elijah found himself a lot of times being commissioned by God to go and speak out against this idolatry. And and that created a little bit of friction. Uh... Elijah, um, one time in in 1 Kings chapter 18, which we're actually going to look at uh, in just a few weeks... Uh, Elijah challenged the priests and the prophets of Baal to a duel with God to see who was the one true God. And God came out incredibly victorious in this duel. God showed his incredible power and his might through Elijah, and he gave him this great victory. And, and Elijah's probably thinking in this moment that, that this is finally going to get everyone's attention. Everyone is finally going to stop worshiping this false God, Baal, and turn to the one true God, Yahweh. But immediately, Immediately, Elijah runs into the one person who is as committed to Baal as he is to Yahweh. Look at our text this morning, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Essentially what she's saying is, I'm giving you 24 hours, you better start to run. And that's exactly what Elijah does. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And, it, and, it, and it's not like he was saying, hey, just stay right here, hang out until, you know, things pass. I'll come back and, and we'll continue what we're doing. No, he, he left him there saying, go back to your family, go back to your home. I don't, I don't need a servant anymore because I am, I am done in ministry. I'm leaving this behind. Elijah was thrown in the towel. So he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Have you ever been in a place like that in your life? A place where all you could do is just throw up your hands and say, I'm done, Lord, I've had enough. Like I can't do this anymore. And that's where Elijah finds himself in our text. This mighty prophet had stood as boldly as anyone before him for God, but now he is throwing in the towel. This is not what he expected. God is not doing what Elijah thought that he should do. You can almost feel his disappointment coming off of the page. And the question of this text is also the question of our lives when we find ourselves disappointed with God. The question of the text is how will God respond when we are disappointed in him? How does God respond when we are disappointed in him? I know how I respond when somebody is disappointed in me. Maybe in something that I've done or something that I haven't done. My tendency is to either avoid that person, to get defensive, or to do both. Avoid them while I tell everyone that'll listen why I'm right and they're wrong. That's what I do in my more unsanctified moments. Uh, But how will God respond to Elijah. Is he going to abandon the prophet who had abandoned him? Is he going to chastise Elijah for his self-centeredness, or is God going to show himself as a kind, tender, lovingly, loving heavenly father to his broken servant? Let's pick it back up in the second half of verse 5. Elijah um, is done and he's taking a nap, which is sometimes the most godly thing that we can do. <laughs> I'm done, Lord. I'm going to go take a nap. I can't do life anymore. I'm just going to go take a nap. Uh, or maybe if you're a parent in the room, I'm done. Kids, go take a nap. Uh, sometimes naps are the most spiritual thing that we can do. And how awesome is that, that the Lord invites us. You know, the very first thing that God did after he created us, he rested. He rested and he invites us to rest as well. And so Elijah's taken a nap. It goes on in verse five, all at once, an angel touched him. Now I want to stop right there because this is the first answer to our question. How will God respond to us when we are disappointed in him? The very first thing that God does is approach Elijah. And what we learn about God right off the bat is that he is a God who seeks us first. He is a God who seeks you. Elijah is running from Jezebel, but he is also running from God. He is angry that God did not come through for him the way that he felt like he should have. And instead of letting Elijah run away, instead of waiting for him to come back, God seeks Elijah out first. In his love and in his grace, God is the one who makes the first move towards Elijah. He has not abandoned him. And listen, I'm telling you, God has not abandoned you either. That if you find yourself in here this morning disappointed, feeling let down by God, I'm telling you, God has not abandoned you and he will not give up on you. Listen, God's shoulders are strong enough to bear the weight of your disappointment in him. God's shoulders are strong enough to bear the weight of your disappointment in him. It is not going to cause him to run, to give up. That's why Peter tells us to cast all of our anxieties on him, because he cares for you. God is not going to give up on you. He is not going to leave you. We see it in the text I've seen in my life, many in here could stand up and testify to that very same thing today. He is a God who seeks us first. He's also a God who provides for our needs. Look at how God cares for Elijah with this incredible amount of tenderness. Verse 5 again. All at once, an angel touched him, and he said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. Now, this is an important detail here. We're not talking about like day old stale bread. This is fresh baked bread that God is providing for him. Uh, And and the word that is used here in the Hebrew, uh, this is actually like a delicacy. It was a sweet bread that oftentimes they would drizzle with oil. This was a treat. God is serving Elijah cake. He's not just a God that provides for our needs. He is a God who gives us cake even when we find ourselves disappointed in him. He provides him bread and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. Elijah took another nap. I like this guy. (laughs) (laughs) The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank Strengthened by that food. And I I have to believe that Elijah wasn't just strengthened physically, but but in the way that God had provided for him so generously and so lavishly, Elijah was also strengthened emotionally and, and spiritually. He got up and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he had reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night. God tenderly provided for Elijah's needs, and now we see Elijah starting to be renewed and refreshed in his spirit, and he goes out seeking the God who sought him first, and he goes to Mount Horeb, the the mountain of God. Now, now why is that referred to as the mountain of God? We're first introduced to Mount Horeb in Exodus chapter 3. It is the place where God encounters Moses through the burning bush. Years later, Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, is a place where God would give Moses the Ten Commandments. And then even years after that, as Moses is kind of walking through his own personal wilderness, uh, God invites him up to Mount Horeb and he says, stand on this cliff because I'm about ready to pass by. and, And Moses gets to see the backside of God. Elijah knows that this is a holy place Elijah knows that God has revealed himself at Horeb before and he is hoping that he will do it again. Do you have a place like that in your life? A place you keep going back to because it seems like every time you go, God meets you there. Or, Or maybe you're like Elijah and you've heard that God meets people at this place and so you're hungry and you are searching and you're just hoping to experience more of him. Maybe that's what brought you to church this morning. You are looking and you are searching for more and you're hoping that you can find the Lord here. Maybe it's driven you to the mountains or the ocean or to a place of quiet retreat. Elijah is a man who felt let down by God and he went seeking God in a place that he had been found before, hoping that he could be found again. And and the question now is how will God reveal himself as Lord to Elijah? We saw how God responds when we feel disappointed in Him. He seeks us out even when we run. He provides for all of our needs. But now Elijah is seeking God, and the question is how will the Lord reveal Himself to Elijah as God? Verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him What are you doing here, Elijah? And here's Elijah's complaint He replied. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah's complaint is, you have let me down, God, and I am done. I think it reveals a lot about what is going on inside of his his heart. Yes, he's disappointed that the people have turned their back on God, but Elijah is also disappointed because he feels like God has turned his back on him. He felt like God and everyone else had deserted him. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God knows that what Elijah needs right now is not wind. It's not an earthquake. It's not fire. Although God could have revealed himself in any single one of those things, Elijah did not need God's power and strength and magnificence. What Elijah needs, what we need when we are in our own times of wilderness, what Elijah needed is to be still so that he could hear the whispering voice of God. What we need in our moments where we feel let down, where we feel disappointed by God is to be still, to allow God to quiet our hearts so that we can hear the whisper of his comforting voice. In these verses, God shows us that he is a God who quiets our hearts. He's a God that draws us out of the noise out of the chaos and he speaks to us in such a way that we have to be still in order to hear his voice. He quiets our hearts. The psalmist says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. God quiets the chaos that we feel in our hearts so that we can hear his voice and we can know him more intimately than ever before. When I read this passage, I think that the winds and the earthquake and the fire, those things represent more about Elijah in that moment than they do who God is. They represent more about what is going on and happening inside of Elijah. It's usually those winds and the earthquakes and the fires that keep us from hearing that still small voice of God. It's the stress in our marriage and our families. It is the pressures that we feel at work. It is the busyness of our lives. For some of us in here, the thing that keeps us from hearing that voice is the depression that we struggle with. It's our feelings of loneliness. All of those things just become noise that keep us from hearing the Lord. Or maybe it's those times we feel like God has let us down when it, when it really was our expectations of God that failed us. All of these things create chaos in our lives that keep us from hearing the whisper of God. And just as he did in Elijah's life, God is calling us out of the chaos, out of the noise. He invites us into his presence so that he, this is not something that we can do by our own strength, so that he can quiet our hearts, that we may hear his tender voice in our moment of need.